This is the Ontario Family Law Podcast, featuring issues related to marriage, separation, divorce, and some child welfare issues. It's a companion to the book, A Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available as a paperback or ebook at Amazon, Kobo, or the Apple iBookstore. My name is John Schumann. I am a certified specialist in family law, and I am a family litigation lawyer, mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer, and I am the partner leading the family law group at Debbie Smith Frank, LLP. Today on the podcast, Financial Disclosure and Family Law Matters. If you speak to anyone who has been through a difficult divorce, one of the things that they will say made it more difficult is often the issue of financial disclosure. Either they will say that their spouse did not give them the minimal financial disclosure necessary to deal with the matters properly, or they will say that their spouse used disclosure requests as a weapon by making huge and unreasonable demands for documents that are difficult to obtain in order to run up costs and wear them down. Making massive disclosure requests is a litigation tactic used by some lawyers to wear down an opponent. However, how much financial disclosure is actually necessary is often directly related to how much conflict there is between the spouses. The higher the level of conflict and the more difficult process the spouses are following, the more likely that there will be a high degree of distrust and suspicion, which makes more financial disclosure necessary to satisfy each spouse that the other spouse is not hiding anything. Today's podcast looks at how much disclosure is necessary under the laws of Ontario and how to get it. While I'm going to reference the family court rules that are specific to Ontario, the attitudes of judges in other jurisdictions are very similar. The first important thing to know is that as painful as it can seem to provide all the requested disclosure, it is almost always less costly and less painful just to provide it than it is to have a fight over what disclosure is actually necessary, particularly when you are dealing with these matters in family court. When you refuse to provide something, you can expect that the opposing lawyer will tell the judge or arbitrator that the one piece of disclosure you are not providing is the piece that is critical for showing how much money you have hidden away. Courts are permitted to draw adverse inferences based on a party's refusal to provide disclosure, particularly in support cases. And judges can increase the amount of payments on the basis that there must be a reason a party is, quote, hiding, quote, documents. Judges will tell you that disclosure is a cornerstone and foundation of all family law cases. It is crucially important. There are recent changes to the Ontario family law rules, which are specifically designed to facilitate and expedite the exchange of financial disclosures in matters before the court. Separated spouses are expected to provide complete financial disclosure very quickly and right at the beginning of the process. There are two main groupings of financial issues in family law matters. The first is support, paying either child support or spousal support. And the second are the property division issues. Support is based on income and often the income of both parties. In those cases, both parties have to provide the documents necessary to establish his or her income, which can be different from what is reported on a tax return. In property division cases, it is necessary to accurately establish the value of assets and liabilities, often at more than one point in time. So the disclosure that is necessary is disclosure that confirms the correctness of the numbers being used to calculate either support or property division. In Ontario and many other jurisdictions, when you start a family law case before the court that has anything to do with any sort of money issue, you must serve and file a sworn financial statement right at the beginning of the proceedings and update your financial statement on several occasions throughout the proceeding. For out-of-court processes, even negotiation, it is usually necessary to provide that same financial disclosure, or something very similar, at the beginning, 
because the content of those statements are necessary to do even the initial calculations on the most basic financial issues. Even when negotiating basic separation agreements, Ontario's Family Law Act makes the exchange of financial disclosure prior to and throughout the negotiation a prerequisite to having the agreement be court enforceable. If an agreement is not court enforceable, all you really have is a piece of paper because there is nothing holding the parties to the deal. In Ontario, there are two different financial statements, and which one you use depends on what type of case you have. If a case is only about support, then the parties use Form 14, which is a shorter form that only looks at assets and liabilities to the extent necessary to figure out whether a party can pay or need support, and also provides some verification of the income figures. If a case involves any sort of property claims, such as a claim for equalization of net family properties, or any other claim in relation to property, whether it be land or other assets, then the parties must use a Form 13.1 financial statement. The 13.1 financial statement has an extended section on assets and liabilities and requires values for assets and liabilities at three different times for married couples who are divorcing. For parties who have claims related to both support and property issues, the appropriate financial statement is the Form 13.1. It is not necessary to complete both financial statement forms, as the Form 13.1 contains the same content as the Form, form 13 and adds to it. You cannot start a family court proceeding in relation to money, no matter how urgently you need a court order, unless you file a financial statement with your application or notice a motion to change at the very beginning of the proceedings. Similarly, you cannot start to defend a claim made against you in family court in relation to money, which you do by filing an answer or reply, unless you file the appropriate financial statement. I discussed the process for starting or defending a new family court proceeding in episode 14 of this podcast. Knowing about these initial steps in court forms is important because under Ontario's family law rules, within 30 days of serving your financial statement, you must serve all the backup documents necessary to prove the figures that are shown on the financial statement. You must also file a certificate with the court attesting the fact that you've provided that now mandatory disclosure. From a practical perspective, that means when you are doing your initial draft of your financial statement, you should be keeping copies of whatever documents you use to arrive at your figures so that you can make copies to provide to your spouse or former spouse. If you feel that your spouse's disclosure, even at that early point, is not sufficient for you to fully understand his or her financial circumstances that are relevant to the court proceeding, you can bring a motion in writing with no court attendance required, to get an order that your spouse provide whatever documentation is necessary that you can understand his or her financial circumstances. All of that disclosure, and motions related to disclosure, are to be completed before you see a judge for the first time at a case conference. Judges now expect that the parties before them will have done the necessary financial disclosure to enable them to have a productive discussion of the issues at the first case conference. I discuss the case conference process in more detail in episode 15 of this podcast. If you are in mediation or arbitration, then the mediator or arbitrator will similarly expect that all the necessary financial disclosure has been exchanged prior to your first session so that you can have a comprehensive discussion of the issues and not waste time just talking about what additional information you need to understand your your spouse's financial circumstances before you can start negotiating. In collaborative process, while it is still important to start working on your financial documentation immediately as early financial disclosure shows your willingness to be cooperative, It is not necessary to have that ready for the first meeting because those first meetings are focused on other issues. So, with the understanding that early financial disclosure is mandatory, I will now turn to what the financial disclosure should include. In support cases, each party needs to be able to prove his or her income. 
where a spouse's income comes only from a salary or government benefits, then it is a relatively simple task to establish income because all that you require is an exchange of tax returns and your most recent pay stub or statement of benefits. However, for spouses who earn income through commissions or with a bonus or through self-employment or who earn a significant portion of their income through investment income, the requirements for disclosure are substantially larger. For one of the parties owns a business or controls a corporation, he or she must provide the financial statements and, where applicable, the tax returns for that business or corporation. This is necessary because in those situations, the spouse may be able to control how much income he or she shows on tax returns or may be able to arrange his or her financial affairs so that he or she pays substantially less tax, both of which will make a tax return unreliable indicator of total income. A similar situation applies when a spouse is a beneficiary under a trust. There are also situations where a spouse is a member of some form of profit-sharing plan through employment that allow that spouse to have some influence on how or when income appears on tax returns. In these sorts of situations, it is necessary for a spouse to provide business or corporate financial statements and possibly some details or details of employment or expenses or investment income to get a better idea of that spouse's true income. However, in many situations, that preliminary mandatory disclosure will not be sufficient to give a complete picture of a spouse's income. The spouse may still have significant control over the figures on a financial statement. An example of this would be in relation to corporate expenses, where a spouse's control over the corporation, or ex employment expenses, where a spouse is given leeway with regard to what he or she can claim. That is particularly often the case where an employee earns commission. A spouse may report an expense that is personal, or that may have a personal component as being deductible. In many cases, those expenses may be deductible from income tax, but they result in additional income in the spouse's pocket, and as such, they are not deductible from income for purposes of support. Where one separated spouse needs additional information to fully understand the financial situation of the other spouse, family law rules permit the questioning spouse to make a demand for further disclosure that they feel is necessary to understand the true financial picture. In addition, the family law rules say that such requests for disclosure must be answered within seven days. The more suspicious a spouse is of their former partner, or the more suspicious they are that that partner is hiding income, or diverting income, or manipulating the expenses on a financial statement, the more likely that spouse is going to ask for significantly more disclosure. In family court, the suspicious spouses are generally allowed to pursue their suspicions unless the judge can clearly see that those suspicions are not reasonable or possible. So a spouse who controls a business should expect to be required to provide the ledgers that were used to create financial statements so the other spouse can understand where the numbers came from on the financial statement. And they may also be required to dis disclose all the documents used to create those ledgers, even down to the individual receipts where there is even a possibility that those expenses were not properly recorded on the ledgers. This can be a lot of disclosure. But judges are very likely to err on the side of caution order any disclosure that can be related to income or any suspicions about income to ensure that the court will have the opportunity to see the full picture. On the property division side, spouses must provide the backup documentation to support the value of each and every asset or liability on their financial statement, on the date of marriage, on the date of separation, and as the date of the financial statement. In many cases, date of marriage documentation may not be available. If a spouse cannot prove that he or she owned something on the date of marriage, then the court will not allow a credit for owning that item. For many assets and liabilities, this is a straightforward task. 
It simply involves the production of bank statements or loan statements or the credit card statements, appraisals of jewelry or art, opinions of value as to land or real property, pension documents provided by the pension providers, and other similar documents. However, once again, things become more complicated when there are more complicated access, such as business or corporations, interests and trusts, or entitlement of to profit sharing units through employment. It is the spouse who owns these assets who has the obligation to provide documentation to support whatever value is entered on the financial statement. Again, that can involve corporate financial statements and perhaps the backup documentation used for the creation of those financial statements, as well as an explanation as to how the company does business or structured its financial affairs. It may also require this disclosure of employment contracts and benefits agreements or bonus calculation formula. In some cases, judges have said that the obligation to provide the backup documentation for financial statements includes providing professional calculations of a business's value, or, at very least, all the documentation necessary for an accountant to do a complete business valuation. Again, this can be both extensive and expensive disclosure where the asset is more complicated. It can be more complicated when there are suspicious spouses and spouses are allowed to pursue their suspicions unless those suspicions cannot possibly be true. Just as with income information, if the spouse needs more disclosure to fully understand the value of assets or liabilities, that spouse can ask for additional disclosure to be provided within seven days. If the spouse does not provide the additional disclosure within seven days, the respecting spouse can bring a motion, which is heard in writing only, so the court will order the disclosure of that information. Such a motion can be brought before a case conference, and it is even preferable that it be brought before a case conference, so there can be an intelligent discussion of the issues at the case conference and the judge's time meeting with the parties in court is not mired down with dealing with disclosure matters. One other thing I should note is that if you choose to deal with your case in family court, because you and your spouse have not agreed to an alternative family court, the disclosure that you are required to file becomes public record. That means any member of the public can go in and ask to see your court file and look it over. What you thought were private matters can become public when you are in family court. You can ask a judge to seal a court file to prevent the, that from happening if information is particularly sensitive, although the presumption always is that the court proceedings happen in public, so the public must have access to everything. This is another good reason to give some serious consideration to using collaborative practice mediation or arbitration to resolve your matters. As you can see, disclosure is very important in family law matters, and the disclosure that must be provided is quite extensive, and it can be quite expensive to produce. The general expectation is that disclosure will be provided if requested. The Ontario family law rules now require very early disclosure as a court process, and the proper calculation of financial matters in family law is very dependent on early disclosure. Judges are very likely to require all of the disclosure requested and perhaps deal with overeaching requests by way of having a party pay costs at a later date. It's better just to provide disclosure than argue about it. This is not only because it is quick and less expensive to just provide the disclosure, but it's also because people who refuse to provide disclosure really do look like they are hiding things from family court. No spouse in family court wants to be seen as untruthful or uncredible or untrustworthy by judges as that certainly leads to an unfavorable result for that spouse. This has been the Ontario Family Law Podcast episode on financial disclosure. My name is John Schumann. I'm a family law lawyer practicing in Toronto, Ontario. 
You can reach me by calling 416-446-5847 or at our website, which is www.devrylaw.ca. That's www.devrylaw.ca. Look on our website or on iTunes for many other podcasts in this series and additional information on family law topics. We will talk again soon about other family law and children's rights issues. Thanks for listening. Thank you.